0: Hello, and welcome to Holly History, where we discuss what you want to hear, bringing you the story and answering your questions. No fake news, no alternative facts. just history all the time. Welcome back to Holly History, where we discuss what you want to hear. Mr. Christman here, uh, back in charge of the podcast today. Today we're going to be talking about the age of Jefferson. Um, Not just about uh, Thomas Jefferson, but about some of the ideals and ideas uh, that Jefferson laid forth. Uh, If you checked out our last podcast on the Federalist era, uh, you know that we left off with the election of 1800. Uh, We had uh, John Adams, uh, who not only was a a Federalist uh, political party-wise, but he is also the uh, person running for re-election for president, was running against his uh, vice president, Thomas Jefferson, from the Democratic-Republican Party. Uh, The main issue in that 1800 election revolved around uh, the war in Europe, Which side would the United States be backing? Would it be Britain uh, and its allies uh, fighting against the French? Or would it be the French themselves? And some of the other issues that came up were uh, the Alien Sedition Acts and the the potential problems, uh, constitutional issues with those. So the result of the 1800 election, you end up with uh, an interesting problem. You have Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr, both Democratic-Republicans, both end up with 73 electoral votes. Uh, John Adams received 65 electoral votes. And the real issue is between Jefferson and Burr and the fact that there was a tie. Uh, According to the Constitution, if there's a tie uh, in the Electoral College, um, the vote then goes to the House of Representatives. Uh, The House of Representatives uh, broke the tie after more than 30 votes when uh, Hamilton, who was a Federalist, uh, convinced some of his supporters not to vote for Aaron Burr uh jeff or i'm sorry hamilton and burr hated each other uh and hamilton hated burr more than he hated jefferson uh and if you know your history well enough you know that hamilton and burr end up in a duel uh that costs uh, alexander hamilton his life uh dueling is something that in, in that time period the early 1800s, is actually something that was very legal to do uh, as long as both sides uh, agreed to the rules of the duel as a result of this election of 1800 where you had a president and a vice president running against each other from opposing political parties, and that created all sorts of issues. Uh, the, the 12th Amendment will get passed, um, which means that the, the president and the vice president are chosen separately, uh, and generally the way it works now is, is you, know, you vote for the president and vice president as a team from the same uh, political party. You can't pick and choose from one side uh, and then the other. Um, so not surprising with Thomas Jefferson, if you remember back to some other podcasts that we've done earlier, Jefferson was an anti-federalist. He's very concerned about the power of the federal government. Uh, Jefferson was very critical of the Alien Sedition Acts. Matter of fact, he helped to uh, co-write the Virginia resolutions, allowing you know the state of Virginia to basically say, look, Congress has passed these Alien Sedition Acts, but the state of Virginia is not going to enforce them. So Jefferson worked to uh, repeal the Alien Sedition Acts. Uh, he also sought to, to cut taxes. He reduced the size of the federal budget, which also means he's the si- he was reducing the size of the federal government as well. Uh, he continued the policy neutrality for the U.S. and the Napoleonic Wars that are raging across Europe. Um, But as much as he's cutting uh, taxes and he's trying to reduce the size of the federal budget, he does realize that the United States does need a strong Navy to protect ships, particularly from the Barbary pirates who are operating off the north coast of Africa and were kidnapping American sailors and holding them for ransom. So we'll come back to that later on. Uh, That's going to be an important part of another president's uh, legacy uh, before this podcast is over. Um, almost immediately, there is an issue with some of the judges, uh, or dealing with some of the judges, uh, coming out of this election of 1800. Now, we have to remember that there's a gap between the time when a, someone is elected as president and when they're sworn in or inaugurated as president. And according to the, the way the Constitution was originally written, uh, the election would take place in November and whoever won the election would not get sworn in until March, which basically gives uh, the sitting president some time uh, to take actions uh, that may or may not help the, the next president. Uh, more recently, we have narrowed that time frame down. You get elected in November and you're sworn in in January. So John Adams obviously was not happy that he lost the election. Uh, he Again, he's not leaving office until March of the following year. So he spent that time between November and March uh, selecting federalist judges uh, for positions in the government that he knew would make Jefferson's life difficult because the president can only uh, appoint judges if there's an opening. Uh, the president cannot fire the judges and then create that opening. Uh, some of these judges became known as midnight judges because they're being appointed right up to the last minute. Uh, and in some cases, quite literally, uh, up to the last minute. Now, some of the names are a little challenging here because a lot of them begin with the letter M as a last name, so uh, bear with me here. Uh, William Marbury was one of those who was selected uh, by John Adams to be a judge. Uh, Marbury, however, did not get the paperwork from John Adams until after Thomas Jefferson was sworn in. So Jefferson told his Secretary of State, James Madison, to not give William Marbury the proper paperwork to make him a judge. Jefferson wanted to fill that opening with a Democratic-Republican. So Marbury ends up suing Secretary of State James Madison in court, uh, and the court, the, the court uh, is going to make a ruling that he's not happy with. So he appeals the case all the way up to the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court case, uh, the, one of the very first big Supreme Court cases is Marbury v. Madison. Um, this is a case that's gonna set some important ground rules moving forward. Um, so let's kind of get into some of that. So the court, the Supreme Court ruled that the Judiciary Act of 1789 uh that was passed under Washington's presidency was unconstitutional. This is the very first time the United States Supreme Court had ever declared a law unconstitutional. Uh this is a precedent or a tradition, an example uh that future Supreme Courts will use. And this practice is known as judicial review that's a very important term a term that's still used today it's the idea that the court can examine a law uh, and kind of check it against the constitution and make sure that law does not violate the constitution Um, so this drastically changes uh, the power of the supreme court especially when you look at the original constitution this is increasing the power of the court Um, John Marshall, the Chief Justice, was seeking to make the judicial branch more powerful um, because the judicial branch had significantly less power than the other branches at the time. So again, one of the first major Supreme Court cases increases the power of the Supreme Court, makes it more on equal par with the executive and legislative branches, and certainly is one of those cases that uh, sets a precedent that we still use today, that judicial review. So Thomas Jefferson um, is going to make a purchase that many of you, I'm sure, have heard of before, the Louisiana Purchase. But Jefferson has some real um, reasons why he's doing this. This isn't just something that happens to fall into his lap. Uh, Jefferson was a huge supporter of Western farmers. Many of those Western farmers used the Mississippi River. Uh, to ship their products. They would ship it down to the port of New Orleans at the mouth of the river. And from New Orleans, their products could be shipped out to the rest of the world. The problem for American farmers was the city of New Orleans was owned by France. France uh, would tax American farmers. They would sometimes shut down the port to American farmers. So it became an unreliable uh, place for farmers to send their products. So Jefferson sent some representatives to France, with the intention of paying France $5 million for the city of New Orleans and a part of what was modern-day Western Florida. Um, France was probably going to take that offer because France, in their war against Britain, uh, Prussia, Russia, and Spain, they're not doing well. They need money for their war. Um, And before Jefferson's representatives can even get the offer of $5 million dollars for the city of New Orleans on the table, uh, France offers those representatives the whole Louisiana territory for $15 million. So this is very interesting. It creates a very uh, big conundrum uh, for Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson wants to make the purchase. This is going to benefit Western farmers who are his supporters, but this goes against his strict interpretation of the Constitution. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say that the president or Congress can justify or approve the purchase of land. So Jefferson uses that elastic clause that we talked about in the principles of the Constitution to justify the purchase. Now the elastic clause states that uh, the action that's taken must be necessary and proper. So, is it necessary for this purchase to be take, to be taking place? According to Jefferson, yes. This is going to help the United States. It will double the size of the United States and increase its prestige and power. Is it proper? Meaning, is it ethically okay? Jefferson saw no issue with this. So, therefore, he used the elastic clause to kind of go against his own ideas about the Constitution. Um, after the purchase, there's there's some discussion about, well... Where does this territory go to? What does all this area look like? Um, there had been some folks who had explored that area in the past, um, but it was not widely mapped. It was not widely known. So Jefferson commissions uh, two officers, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, one of whom who was his personal aide. And their job was to uh, to go west and to uh, explore this Louisiana territory and actually find... Um, where the pacific ocean was they knew that the continent was wide but they weren't necessarily exactly sure how wide um and lewis and clark were to explore the explore the area they were to map the area and study plants and animals and we always give credit to lewis and clark but a lot of folks don't realize that they're actually in charge of a group called the corps of discovery corps like c o r p s like a group of people like the marine corps this corps of discovery was over 30 men um and what's amazing to me is, is they take this trip from St. Louis. They head uh, northwest along the Missouri River. They head all the way out. They get to the Oregon coast. And then they come all the way back. In all their travels, uh, only one man died uh, from appendicitis of all things. Um, they left St. Louis on May 14th of 1804. It took them took them a full year to get to the Pacific Coast. Without the help of Native Americans, uh, they would not have survived. Um, and one of the Native Americans that Lewis and Clark run into along the way is someone who agrees to be a scout for them, a Native American woman by the name of Sacagawea. There's actually about 12 pronunciations to her name, but she had a a young child with her that she took on this journey, and she uh, served as kind of an intermediary between the Corps of Discovery and the Native American groups that they ran into along the way so the core discovery reaches the pacific ocean they returned back to st louis on september 23rd 1806 so that's quite a long time they had been gone there are actually many people who thought that lewis and clark had died um and so there was quite a shock uh when when lewis and clark returned uh what's ironic about all this is the same native americans that helped lewis and clark and the reason for their success uh, the same; those same Native American tribes would later on be killed or driven off their land by American settlers who would only know about this land because of the core discovery and Lewis and Clark's expedition. Going back to Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson worked with Congress in 1806 because there was concern about uh, the trading that was taking place with, um, with European countries and what kind of... Uh, retribution that was given to the American uh, sailors. Uh, So one of the things that Jefferson does in 1806 is he he works with Congress to pass a law prohibiting the importation of slaves from West Africa. Now, smuggling of of West African slaves still took place. It did not get rid of slavery in the United States. As a matter of fact, what it does is it uh, encourages plantation owners to encourage family groups in the southern states so that children who are born of slaves will stay slaves. So the United States will really, uh, at least the southern states in particular, will try to keep slavery alive, although not importing slaves uh, from West Africa. As Jefferson is finishing his term, uh, the British uh, government starts to use a policy called impressment. And that's putting it very simply that that was kidnapping American sailors to replace British sailors that they were losing in this war against France. Jefferson would not advocate for war. Uh, matter of fact, he worked with Congress to ban all trade with Europe. That way, American uh, sailors would not be impressed, they would not be kidnapped. Uh, the idea was to keep American sailors safe. The unfortunate side effect of that is. It was devastating to American businesses, especially ones that relied on trade, like Northern uh, manufacturers. So, when Jefferson serves uh, serves out his second term, uh, then of course he doesn't run for a third, uh, simply because he's following Washington's example of only serving two terms. Uh, the next president who's elected is James Madison, uh, who would have to repeal the law because, as I said before, it actually hurt American businesses more than it helped. Uh, The British refused to back down. They would not stop their policy of impressment. impressment. So on June 8th of 1812, the United States declared war on Britain again. Um, The War of 1812 is one of those wars that's kind of overlooked in many uh, textbooks. It's a relatively short war. Um, The first part of the war really focused, Britain was focused on fighting and defeating France. Um, So a lot of the fighting is going to take place uh, outside of the United States, the United States tries to invade Canada. Uh, there were some that felt that they would they could annex or add Canada. Um, those expeditions, by the way, ultimately failed. Uh, once Britain had defeated France, then they're able to turn their full attention uh, on the United States, and that they did. Uh, the British armies invaded uh, the United States in multiple places. Uh, They destroyed the city of Washington, D.C. on August 24th of 1814. Uh, There's quite a story about James Madison's wife, Dolly, who not only saves a portrait of George Washington, but also kind of oversees the saving of some important historical documents, including things like the Declaration of Independence. Um, British soldiers then tried to move over to Baltimore, Maryland, a very important port uh, for for the southern uh, states about 30 miles away from Washington, D.C. The British thought if they bombarded the fort that guarded the city, Fort McHenry, uh, the city would fall and the British would be able to take another city and destroy it like they had destroyed Washington, D.C. The bombardment of that that fort, Fort McHenry, from September 12th to 13th, uh, which protected the city uh, in 1814, inspired Francis Scott Key to write that poem, The Star-Spangled Banner. Uh, the Star-Spangled Banner will not become the nation's national anthem, though, until 1931. Uh, it's put to the tune of an old English song to Anachron in Heaven. So if you play the tune The Star-Spangled Banner in Britain, uh, you might get a little different response than you do here in the United States. The British later will try to invade New Orleans, again targeting another key port for the United States now that we had purchased it from France. Um... The British Invasion takes place on January 8th of 1815. Uh, They're turned back by a force of American soldiers, American militia, some Native Americans, uh, slaves, uh, and yes, even some pirates. And they're led by Andrew Jackson. Although they're outnumbered and outgunned, the Americans defeated the British, and this will turn Andrew Jackson into a war hero and will later push him to the national spotlight when he runs for president. If you really want to read an interesting uh, story, read, uh, read something about Andrew Jackson's defense of New Orleans. There's some really cool uh, stories that we just don't have the time to cover here in the podcast, especially if we're going to call this a history short. Now, the Battle of New Orleans actually should not have been fought. Uh, the Treaty of Ghent, which ended the, the War of 1812, was actually signed on December 24th of 1814. Again, the invasion of New Orleans was January 8th of 1815. Um, that Treaty of Ghent was supposed to end the war, but nobody had known that the treaty had been signed. So as, the, as news of this peace treaty is crossing the ocean, uh, the British are defeated by uh, the Americans. Now, that treaty, again, is interesting because neither side gained any land. So if you're talking about what the United States gained out of this war, land-wise, they didn't gain anything. What they did gain is something that can't be measured by money or by property or or land, and that is they're given respect. Uh, They had beaten the British before during the American Revolution, and there was some concern amongst uh, especially American leaders, that maybe that was just a fluke, that you know if they, if they fought the British again, they wouldn't be able to do it. Um, there was concern amongst northern uh, states that this war was really detrimental to their business. Matter of fact, there was talk about the northern states breaking away to create their own country that would be an, an, an ally with Britain, but that all falls apart with the Treaty of Ghent. Uh, so the United States defeats Britain not just once, uh, but twice uh, in a relatively short period of time. Uh, and that kind of concludes the uh, the Age of Jefferson, which includes Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, both, by the way, both of those presidents from Virginia. Um, we're going to uh, pick up after that uh, with a an, an time period called the Era of Good Feelings, and we'll talk more about in the next podcast. So if you have any questions or ideas for topics for us to to answer or discuss, uh, please contact us at hollyhistory65 at gmail.com or send us a tweet at hollyhistory. Don't forget we have a ton of episodes, including other history shorts at Holly History on SoundCloud or on Holly History Channel on YouTube. Thank you very much for listening and have a good day.